And we're kind of surveying the first three chapters, but our, our passage for this little three-week mini-series is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. So if you want to turn there, that'll be a good place for us to pick up. The kind of theme and title of this series is to walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And this involves living in light of Christ's work. That's kind of our our subtitle. I don't, I don't put that on the YouTube because it gets really long. Walk worthy, living in light of Christ's work, part two in patience, bearing with one another. That's kind of a lot. So we're just going to call it walk worthy. But our goal here is to live our lives in light of what Christ has done. And so are you guys there? Ephesians 4? I hear a couple little ruffling still. All right. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 3 just to get us back into our context here. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray together that the Lord would bless our time. Father, thank you that you have called us with such a high calling that we would be called sons and daughters of the Most High. God, we are so humbled, Father, by what you've done for us. Thank you, God, for the saints that you've gathered together this morning, God, to worship you and to hear your word. God, I ask that you would teach us, instruct us, strengthen us, encourage us, Father. We find ourselves, it seems, this time of year entangled in so many different struggles and anxieties and uh, fatigue, God, and yet you remain steadfast, Lord. You remain our ever-present help, God, so we give you thanks. We ask for your help, God, and your mercy this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so just a quick review from last week. We began, again, taking a look here at Paul's call to walk worthy in humility and gentleness, right? You guys remember that? We had three points. We're going to do three three-point sermons, so by the time we're done with this, you should have a nice little sheet of nine reasons to walk worthy. So last week, we covered walking in humility and gentleness in light of God's glory, in light of God's giving, and in light of Jesus' rule over the universe, and I believe we were all... Uh, sufficiently humbled by that text. I know I was. Um, And now as we continue on in Ephesians 4, verse 2, today we're going to take a look at this idea of walking worthy in light of what Christ has done with two more pieces, and that's with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now I want to qualify that specifically when we're talking about patience, not really referring to, you know, like waiting in the drive-thru for your Happy Meal type of patience. That's great. We should all, you know, do our best to exercise that as well. But this is specifically interpersonal patience. That makes sense? Patience with people, uh, not just, you know, the ability to watch paint dry. Uh, That's a great characteristic, but uh, we're talking about patience within the body this morning. So bearing with one another in love. Now remember, in light of the whole chapter, Paul is moving toward the goal of unity. So all these things that he's asking of his readers should ultimately result in our ability to remain unified as one body. And that's where we're going to conclude this little series next week. Unity is his great desire for the church so that it can function properly, right? We're called together into one body, and that body, Jesus desired for that body to be unified, to be one. That was Christ's deep desire for his church. If you want to know how much Jesus loves the unity of the church, go home and read John 17 this afternoon, and you will see what a great priority this is for him, that we would be one. Amen? And so we are. So unity is the desire of Paul, which without humility, gentleness, Patience, love cannot possibly exist, right? So we see that Paul presents all of this in a way that's very easy to understand. Everything he's instructing his readers to do makes sense in, what, in light of what God has already done, right? In, in light of what God is doing in and through his church. All of these things fit together. 
His commands build on top of one another, and they build on the character of God. And that's why he spends so much time telling us about God. The Bible is not just cover to cover a bunch of instructions and, and do this and do that. It reveals God to us. This is God's special revelation. He told us about himself. First and foremost, the scriptures exist so that we can know God. And then from there, we can walk worthy. We can follow after him. We can be disciples of Christ. And so our main priority when we come to the word is to know him. Amen? To know him. To know him. Everything has a place. Everything has a purpose, right? The writers of scripture were not uh, just guys who were hanging out, you know, watching the sunset and thought they'd write some, some nice stuff about what they thought about God, right? It's, it's been revealed to us for a purpose. Every word has a purpose. He doesn't tell us all of these grand, eternal, cosmic, glorious things about God so that we can go, wow, you know, wow, that's really cool. Just like in the book of John, Jesus didn't perform miracles so that the people watching could go, wow. You know, he's, he's not a magician. He's not there to, to get tips thrown in a hat. All of these things serve a purpose. What we know about God, what we believe to be true of him, what we believe his word says about him shapes everything that we do in this life. And so if we have a low view of God, right, if we, if we think lowly of him, that will reflect in the way that we live. And likewise, if we have a high, if we have a lifted, exalted view of God, that too is going to reflect in our lives. What we truly believe to be true about God shows in the way that we walk the Christian walk. And so Paul's intention is to elevate our view of God, yes? If we read the first three chapters of Ephesians and we don't stop after every line and go, okay, I need, to, I need to spend some time thinking on this, then we're missing the point. His goal is to lift our view of God higher and higher and higher and higher to help us see the sun high and lifted up in power and majesty and unfathomable love so that our lives will be deeply affected by what we know about him. Amen? All right, Suzanne's with me. And so all biblical instruction, right, everything that Paul is giving us here, and therefore, you know, all the instruction that we give here from the pulpit at Calvary Napa is given in light of the character of God and in light of his gospel. Biblical instruction is Christ-centered, it's gospel-centered instruction, it's spirit-empowered instruction, Christ-empowered instruction. We need to know these things about him so that we can walk. Because God has done this in Christ for you. Now you go and do this for your brother, for your sister, for your neighbor. Because God is, you be. Right? God is, you be. If that's all you take away from this, then just remember that. Because God is, you be. Because God is holy, you also be holy. You guys know uh, Matthew 28, 18, right? Go make disciples. What, what does he qualify that with? What does he set that up with? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? This is who I am. Now you go do this. So today we move from humility to patience, okay? Not erasing humility from our minds because that's going to totally work its way into what we have here. But we move from humility to patience, Humility is our anchor. Humility produces patience. We can hardly be patient without first humbling ourselves. It's hard to exercise patience without humility, right? If I think I'm the king of all things, what business do I have waiting on you guys, you know? I'm just going to tell you what to do, and if you don't do it fast enough, you're out of here, right? So patience. Patience is the word for the day. I'm telling you guys, no one is escaping from this series unscathed. We're all going to get wounded in some wonderful and glorious way. We're going to have some sanctified scars on us to remind us of who we are. There's a call to every one of us in this area, right? I've spoken with a handful of folks that were undone by the call to humility. Again, myself included, I have to stand up here and, and 
preach this stuff to you guys, okay, I'm getting smacked in the face with it all week long. Uh, when it comes to patience, I mean, you can't, you can't read these things and then teach these things without being challenged in your own life. And so I, I've been stretched in my patience this week, and I have, I have fallen, I will confess to you guys. Uh, you know, we all have limits. We're, we're human beings, and when we reach those limits, we find uh, things that can be frightening at times. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen on YouTube. Uh, this week will make more sense in light of that. But I think we can all take comfort in knowing that we all fall short in these commands, right? There's not one person that sits here in this room uh, that does not fail in these ways. And we can all be collectively encouraged together to look again to Jesus, to find power to walk in this way by turning our eyes back to him again. We know that our lack of patience with each other, and ultimately that's at the end of the day, just a lack of patience with God, right? Um, we, bless you, whatever that was. Um, <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> we know that our lack of patience, uh, at some point recently, we've all been tested our, in our ability to do this, to bear with one another in love, and at some point we have come up short, amen? Some of you can probably remember it from this morning, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was the day before, but we all fall short in this area, in this ability. And so this morning, may we be strengthened in patience, in our ability to bear with each other in light of these three things from the letter to the Ephesians for you note takers. Number one, God's eternal timetable. We'll get to that. Here's our life. Here's eternity, right? Remember when Pastor Rob brought out like the 30-foot rope? What? Never mind. We'll go watch that one on YouTube too. No ropes, no props. I'm not a prop guy. Um, number one, God's eternal timetable. Number two, God's patience with us. That one's just going to kill us all. And then number three, our place in Christ's body. Our place in Christ's body. So let's begin with our terms again. Patience. We can't do it if we don't know what it means. You guys know what short-tempered means? Anybody in here short-tempered? All right. I love the confession, guys. Short-tempered. Patience is the exact opposite of that. It means long-tempered. You got that? There's your word study for the day. Patience means long-tempered. It's an extended period of time before becoming frustrated, hopeless, angry, agitated, all that stuff, right? It's delaying those things. Now, I know some of you in this room are more short-tempered than others because I know everyone in this room, which is great. I love that. I love you guys. I love that I can look out and, and I actually know everybody in here by name. Uh, but I also know everyone in here by name, and I've spent time with a lot of you guys. Um, I know some of us have different triggers than others, right? Some of us can put up with some things all day long, but if someone, you know, looks at us sideways, oh, man, it's, it's on, right? Um, but we're all, <laughs> we're, all, we're all striving toward long-temperedness with one another. And unfortunately, guys, for those of you who raised your hand and those of you who lied and kept it down, there is no excuse or exemption for this behavior. Patience is a command, and so nobody gets to say, well, I just have a short temper, or I just have a short fuse, and, you know, I just blow up on people from time to time. Sorry, not going to work. Short temper is a sin issue. It's not a permanent part of your genetics when, you know, God shook up your mom and dad's genes and you ended up with short-tempered. Not going to cut it. So if you're thinking that's just part of my personality, today is the day to repent, my friends, right? God's mercy is new today. You must exercise patience. You must be ready and able to endure Hardship with people without giving in to your emotions. If we're going to bear with one another in love, if we're going to walk worthy, we must be able to do this. We must work at this. So bearing with one another, that's our other verb here, is basically just a, a verb form of patience. Patience is a noun. For those of you who like parts of speech, noun, right? It's a thing. Verb, what you do, okay? Bear with one another. 
Bear with one another. It is the exercise of patience applied to your relationships, right? We're cultivating patience and we're bearing with one another in our lives. So I want you guys to think of bearing with one another as hanging in there. We all know what this means, right? I'm going to try to use as, as little Christianese this morning as I can. Hanging in there. Bearing, enduring, tolerating. I want you guys to imagine holding something that is heavy, whatever heavy means to you, uh, fragile and valuable over your head. For those of you who have done overhead pressing, it's extremely difficult. It's one of the hardest things to do. Uh, you're, you're using a lot of the smaller muscles in your body to hold weight over your head. And for the first few seconds, once you lock out your elbows, it's no problem, right? You're hanging out there. But eventually it becomes more and more difficult the longer you stand under that weight. It becomes more difficult to bear, right? To hold on without giving in to what your body wants to do. What does your body want to do? Drop it, right? So it's mind versus body. Body wants to drop it. Mind says, I can't drop it. You know that it's more important to bear up underneath that than to give in. And that's what we have to do with one another. Because that precious, valuable, heavy thing that you're holding over your head is the unity of Jesus' church. That's what's at stake. Something that he shed his blood for. Something that's very precious and important to him. No matter how hard I want to drop you, right? Be done with you. Go off on you. Abandon you. Just write you off. I have to keep enduring. We have to keep enduring. And God has given us every reason why we must do this. And so we're going to look at three from the first three chapters of Ephesians. Number one, okay, we're going to start very big picture. We must bear with one another lovingly and patiently because, first of all, again, thinking back to last week, we are part of something much bigger than ourselves, right? Much bigger than ourselves. And so walk patiently because you are one part. You are one part of God's wise and eternal plan. Okay, we've got we've to open up our minds and our eyes here to the fact that there is something more going on than our personal existence. Again, this is all built on the fact that we are not the center of the universe. I'm not going to hash that out again. Go watch last week. Neither his nor ours the universe does not revolve around us. And if we can just remember that, accept that, love that, right, our patience is going to be affected by that. But specifically, this week, the timing of all things, all things, all things, the timing of all things is something that belongs exclusively to whom? To God. In his creation, he is the conductor. He chooses the pace of the flow of history. He chooses the timing of events. He sets up times. He sets up seasons. And he does it all, again, according to the good pleasure of his will, for his purposes, and for his glory. And the hilarious thing is, is that we get, we get dropped into this world, right? Let's just say for a nice round number, we get an 80-year window of life on earth. I'm not trying to scare any of you that are in your 70s. I'm just... I'm just using a nice round number, okay? Let's say we get 80 years. Again, some, some may not make it that long. And we, or some may make it longer, sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Look, to die is gain, right? It's all good. Um, so we get, we get dropped in here, right, into God's eternity. And we look around and go, okay. Here's how I want the events of the world around me to go to suit my desires and my comforts and my pleasures, right? We get, we get dropped into this thing that God has made, and we start looking around like, you know, we're some uh, crew chief and going, okay, let's take that down. Let's fix that. Let's uh, swap that around. You, you're fired. You, definitely fired, right? We, it's just crazy. It's kind of funny. It's like, again, to, to think back to last week, who are you? Who am I? Who am I? I like to imagine, again, this is totally unsanctified and this is not biblical, but I shouldn't even say that, but I'd like to imagine all the saints of all time just kind of rolling their eyes at our arrogance. It's like, who's the new guy over here, you know? 
who's the new center of the universe, right? I'm born into this world. I, I reach an age of conscious awareness, and I go, okay, here's how, the word, here's how the world should go so that my life will be, you know, how I want it, right? It's just, it's amazing. It really is. It's astounding how highly we uh, think of ourselves in that way. Um, and so, again, when it comes to humility, who am I? When it comes to patience, the question is, <clears throat> who am I, right? Same question, who am I? Who am I? The very simple issue here, if we, if we really reduce it down, is that we want what we want when we want it, right? That's something that we all experience pretty universally. We want what we want, and we want it at a specific time, namely now, yeah? That would be good. We can pretty well trace every impatience and intolerance down to that. We want what we want, and we want it ahorita, right? Now. This is exactly what Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness, wasn't it? He said, you can have the glory, you can, you can have what you came here for, and you can have it now. All you have to do is go around the Father's plan. Go around the Father's will, and you can have it all right now. All you need to do is forsake that and bow down before me. Take the shortcut, right? Do it in your own time. Get it now, right? You want it now? Have it now. Praise God Jesus is not like us. He could see beyond the moment. He could see ahead to the glory that would come with patience and obedience, right? So when we grumble against God's timing, when we grumble against our brothers and sisters here in this room and outside of this room, and when we doubt the goodness of God's sovereign plan, we have to remember this, guys. We don't live in a world of uncontrolled chaos and random chance. Things are not just happening, and it's just, uh, just doing whatever it does. God, remember, uh, Pastor Rob taught about deism a little while back. God is not a, a clockmaker who, you know, wound up the spring and then went, okay, here we go. Let's see what happens, right? It doesn't work that way. God is in control. He controls time. He controls events. We live in a world that is exactly where it is meant to be on God's timeline. Exactly where it's meant to be. In this moment, God has a plan for this time. Not our timeline, but his. We want things now. We want Jesus to come back. Like, you know, where is he? It's, it's, it's 1101. Where are you, right? So the question, again is who am I? And of what great significance is my time schedule? Of what great significance is how you think things should go? Do you think that your plan is more suitable than God's? Rhetorical question. Do you think your timing would be more suitable than his for things to play out? I'll be the first to confess I would like the timing of a lot of things to be different. Again, particularly now would be great. In my flesh, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait on people to humble themselves. I don't want to wait on people to get it together. I don't want to wait on people to mature. I don't want to wait for folks to stop frustrating each other. I don't want to wait on people to be perfect. Why can't you all just be perfect now, you know? That would make all of this a lot easier. Why can't I just be perfect now, you know? That would be, that would be so much better. We want what we want, and we want it now. And our Amazon Prime memberships are not helping with this, are they? We want it now, boom, got it now, right? You shoppers know this. Well, it would be helpful for us if we take a look at where we are in biblical history. See, we find ourselves in a very privileged point in time, right? We're living in the end game. We are living in the end times, a long-awaited point in time. And we can't take for granted all that has come before us, all that has led to this moment in God's unfolding plan. In light of what Ephesians tells us about this history, our, our brief little moment here takes on a different light when we look at the big picture. Again, our sinful nature wants to be the center. We want to be the center of time. We want to be the center of God's priorities. But those things are no good for us. The best thing for us, as we covered last week, is that God is concerned primarily with what? Anybody remember? His His glory. And with his plan. Two things that we have the privilege of being included in. We've been brought into this. 
And Paul understood this well. He saw the bigger picture. He saw the eternal picture, and it gave him a right perspective on his own life. It propelled him to live a worthy life, to run with everything he had, to pour himself out. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. I want you to see how Paul's perspective on God's glorious plan makes its way down to the details of his own life. He says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is, which was for ages been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known through the church, to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, this is all pretty, uh, pretty lofty language here. This is in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him, And then he says, verse 13, therefore, bless you, I ask you do not become discouraged about my tribulations on your behalf since they are your glory. Do you see how Paul connects the eternal plan of God down to the specific struggles of his own life? This is our job as Bible students, to understand how these big God things have a bearing on our day-to-day struggle to survive. And sometimes we may be tempted to think that they really don't, right? I don't need all this theology stuff. I need to know how to do this. I need to know how to make it through the day. But these things absolutely do have an effect on how we live. Paul tells us that this mystery, he calls it, that's now been revealed, the plan that Christ would come and bring peace with God to both Jews and non-Jews. Are any of you guys Jewish in here? Okay, cool, I'm going to talk to you all as non-Jews then. That'll be very helpful. Uh, that, that we would all be one people in Christ. This was a mystery that was hidden in God for ages. From Adam all the way to the disciples, nobody had this whole thing figured out. That we would all be one body. It was a glorious mystery that's only been revealed now at this late time. And he says, so that... The wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. And this was all according to God's eternal purpose that he carried out in Christ. We say, okay, great, Paul, that's awesome. So what? He connects this straight down to his own tribulation. He's writing this letter from Roman imprisonment, right? He says, don't be discouraged about what I'm going through because my sufferings serve a purpose. A purpose beyond myself and my little time here on earth. My suffering serves you. My suffering is for God's glory and it's for your glory. And I will endure it patiently for those reasons. It's not all about me. You think Paul was ever tempted to lose patience with the churches that he planted? I assume that he was a a man. Now, we don't... (laughs) We don't know for sure I wasn't there, but I'm gonna, if I had to wager, I would say that Paul was hard-pressed to maintain this patience. I believe that he was a man just like any one of us who wanted to see God glorified. Do you ever think Paul was tempted to just give up on them when they wandered into false doctrine and fought amongst each other and slandered each other and engaged in horrible, perverse sins and were proud of it? Wouldn't it have just been so much easier to say, forget you guys, you're beyond help. I'm, I'm tired of writing to you and coming to you. You just don't get it. Forget it. I'll move on. I'll go somewhere else. I would say, in my opinion, for sure, for sure he did. But he saw the bigger picture. He saw the bigger picture. He saw his life in light of God's eternity. He saw their lives and his life as a piece of the whole. And this produced patience in him. He was looking ahead, not looking down at his feet, looking ahead as Jesus did to the glory that would await. He was looking to then and there, right? If all we have is here and now, we are of all people to be most pitied. We are the biggest fools and losers on the entire planet if all we have is here and now. 
But what we are looking forward to is there and then with patience and hope. And now we too have to wait patiently, not giving up on our brothers and sisters, not giving up on each other, but looking ahead, waiting for Christ's return, patient with one another as we wait, because everything that is happening in our lives and in the world is to advance God's good purpose. He is gathering a people for his son through the preaching of his gospel, his goodness. Believe it or not, it's not just to please us here again in our 80 years to make things go the way we think they should go. So that's number one, the big picture. We're just a small moment on the schedule of eternity. We live on God's timeline, who is himself outside of time. History didn't start with you, and history is definitely not going to end with me, right? The world is going to go on without us. Ecclesiastes, if you guys have read it, we're going to die and be forgotten. That's the reality, guys. Praise God that he cares for us because no one's going to know who you are in 200 years. Maybe you might be written in some family log, Ancestry.com, but more than likely, we're going to go in the ground and God's world is going to continue on, right? We're, in, we're a part of something bigger. We need to see this moment in light of the hope that awaits. This life is not all there is. We can be patient with each other here and now for the sake of eternity, for the sake of there and then, where our squabbles and disagreements and offenses, they're going to be absolutely meaningless. They're going to be done away with. You're not going to remember disagreement over the, the color of the paint or, you know, which tree topper should have gone on there. No one's going to care. It doesn't matter. In a hundred years, no one is going to remember what matters right here and right now. Consider the reward of patience for God's people throughout history and let that drive you to wait on him and to bear with each other here and now, all right? Big picture. We're just here for a little bit, guys. Let's not waste our time fighting amongst each other. We don't have time for that. Number two. Number two is to consider God's patience toward you, toward us. Now, this one is, I cannot overstate how crucial this one is to understand, how crucial this one is to meditate on in our daily lives. One of the things that I have to counsel my own mind with often I should have made a slide for this. If God has been so blank with me, insert description there, so patient, so gentle, so forgiving, how then can I turn around and be impatient, harsh, and cruel and begrudging toward others? How can I do that? Jesus often told parables to illustrate this exact point, right? Look at how good God has been to you. How dare you take that goodness and then turn around and be harsh with your brother, right? And that's what we have before us here. If God has been so patient with us, what can we do but be patient with one another? We're never going to outbear God in love. We're never going to outlast him in patience. And so we're never going to reach a point where we're justified and just throwing our hands up and just, you know, giving up on each other, living in impatience. Let's turn to chapter 2 together and read the first portion. I know you guys are probably sick of this one by now, but this is here for a reason. It's here to remind us. Chapter 2, we're going to read uh, the first 13 verses. I'm going to read it fairly quickly, so try and keep up with me here. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them too we all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Verse 11, therefore, remember that previously you, Gentiles in the flesh, which apparently is everyone in this room, who are called uncircumcision by the circumcision, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were previously far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I know that's a lot, but what we have here is a brief but thorough reminder of the helpless and evil people that we were outside of Christ, dead, enslaved, perverse, headed for wrath, separated from Christ, separated from the people of God, separated from his covenants, and without hope. Now, at that time, we were in complete high-handed rebellion against God, not just kind of in rebellion, just shaking our fists at him, doing everything we could to run from him. And he was in no way indebted to us, right? He could have rightly destroyed us at any time since the moment we first sinned in his holy anger, and yet he did not. Here we sit in his building, amongst his people, breathing his air, right? Sustained by his life-giving power. If he pulls his hands off of this creation, we're all gone in an instant. Here we sit, enjoying his graces. Why? Notice the way Paul ends those two portions of chapter 2. Verse 4, But God, right, rich in mercy, full of love, made us alive. Verse 13, But now... You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We sit here alive this morning because of God's patience. Because of God's patience. When we were dead in sin, following the devil, following the course of this world, what was he doing? He was exercising patience. Patience, 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 patience. He didn't pour out his wrath on us the first moment that we turned away from him. He held back his anger, right? God is long-tempered. God is long-tempered. He held back his anger. He extended love and mercy over and over and over and over and over when he was in no way obligated to do so. That's just who he is because he is patient, He's patient. Peter goes so far as to say in 2 Peter 3.15, he says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience of God as salvation. Because the only thing standing between us and the lake of fire was God's timing. Praise God, Jesus didn't return the day before I got saved, right? God's timing is the only thing between us and and damnation. God's amazing patience as we continually lived in hatred for him and his law, and yet we read, but God, but God waited and he intervened and he saved us because he's patient. His patience is our salvation. We're not saved through his patience, but because of his patience, salvation is possible. This is again Peter He says, don't overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient. The reason Jesus did not come back this morning at 1101, it's 1118 now, We're 17 minutes past where I expected him to be here. The reason he has not come back this morning is that he is still gathering his sheep. Amen? If he wasn't, he would be here. He is still extending patience to those who will hear his voice and follow him at this very moment. It's not that he's delayed or slow, right? He's not waiting in line at the Starbucks Dutch Bros drive-thru over here, and, and he's off time. There's no way. You, remember, you guys have seen Lord of the Rings, right? Gandalf says a wizard is never late, right? He arrives precisely when he intends to. Okay, 
Jesus is not a wizard. He is God. He is never late. He is never off time. He knows what he's doing. His plan is unfolding. He's not delayed or slow. It's that he's not willing that any of his sheep would perish. That's why he extends his patience. We went through this recently, John 6, 39. Jesus says, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that the Father has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is going to gather every single sheep that the Father has given him. And as long as there are more sheep to call into the fold, to call into the family, his patience knows no end. As long as that door remains open, his patience continues. He was patient with us while we were his enemies, right? He died for us while we were his enemies. And he's patient with us even now in our weakness. His patience didn't just come to a screeching halt when we called upon the name of Jesus. Now his patience toward us it works in an entirely different way. He's committed to us. By his own word, he's committed to us. And he cannot deny himself, right? He cannot deny himself. No matter how many times we stumble, he will never cast us out. He will never forsake us because his love, Paul tells us, surpasses knowledge. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now, if all that is true, if we believe all that, if we live in light of all that, how are we supposed to live in light of that? How should we bear with each other in light of that? His patience endured thousands of years of sin and rebellion of his creatures. His patience endured torture and death at the hands of his own creation. That is absurd. It's crazy. I'm not calling God crazy. The, the idea is crazy to the human mind, right? If a little kid comes up and starts beating you, are you going to go, are you going to stand there and take it? Or are you going to resist, right? You'd say, dude, get away from me. Or you'd just give them a little, you know, swift kick in the shin and, you know, send them on their way. God looks at the thing that he made and the son allowed his creation to hang him on a cross. He's not an unwilling victim. He knew that was what he came to do and he walked toward it. He caused it to happen. He endured that. He endured the payment of every sin ever committed by every saint in this room. He took that upon himself. And his patience bears with us now. He prays for us. He intercedes for us. He advocates for us. He helps us in our weakness. And he waits for us with mercy and grace and kindness in our time of need. What patience. His patience is beyond comprehension. And if he has extended such patience to you and to me, we must extend, therefore, that patience one to another. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, God? If he sins against me seven times, do I still have to forgive? Okay, you can count that on your fingers, guys. What does Jesus say? Not seven, 490, okay? Then you have your excuse. Then you can say, okay, forget you, right? Or 77 or whichever way the, you know, the math works out in the Greek. I didn't really look it up. But, uh, guys, we need to see each other the way that Christ sees us. Again, not by the squishy eyes of our flesh, but as recipients of his patience and recipients of his love. Again, we need the mirror of God's word. We need to see ourselves in light of what he has said about us. Who are we? Look at the patience that God has had with every single person in this room. Come on, guys. The patience of God toward you, 
specifically toward us collectively, if you add up all of our sins together in this room, we would not have enough pages in this building to fill it up, and that's just this room. And yet he was patient, 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 patient. We expect from people in a matter of days or weeks or months what God waited years for some of us to do, what God waited decades for some of us to do. Not me, because I haven't been saved that long, but I'm sure in 20 years there will be some sin that I have not yet overcome in my life. And in light of all that, what has God returned? Mercy, right? New every day. Every day. Some of us are still struggling with the same old thing, same old stuff, right? We wake up and we go, well, I haven't conquered this sin yet. What's new? His mercy, patience, graciousness, help in time of need, steadfast, unwavering love, bold access with confidence to him. He says, come. I know, you, I know you're struggling. Come. I know you messed up. Come. I know you sinned against me. Come. Come, come, come. How then, how then can we be cold and harsh and short-tempered with each other? We are supposed to love each other as Christ loved us, yes? Not keeping a record of wrongs, right? Here's my checklist of all the ways that you've offended me this week. Not keeping a record of wrongs, but laying down our lives for each other. Seeing other people as more significant. We've got to build patience with one another like Jesus' patience, patience that knows no bounds. We've got to be able to say, you're a brother or sister in Christ, I'm with you till the end. I will love you, I will keep on loving you. If you come to me asking for forgiveness, you'll find it, right? There shouldn't be a question in anyone's mind in here. If you sin against someone in this room and you go to them and you say, brother, sister, forgive me, what you should expect to receive is, you're forgiven, right? It's washed away. It's gone. Let's move forward. Bearing with one another. Holding back that desire to give in, to write each other off, to quit on one another. Bearing with each other means overlooking offenses. It's not all about you. It means waiting patiently for people to change, right? We can't, we can't create our own schedule of how we want people to progress in their sanctification and then hold them to that and go, come on, man, let's go. You're bugging me. You're annoying me. I'm getting close to being done with you, right? Look at yourself. How many years have you struggled with the same challenges and struggles and sins? What has God done to you? All right, you're bugging me, man. You're on your last chance, right? No. Patience, 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 patience. We've got to see the bigger picture. We've got to see how wicked we are ourselves and how patient God has been with us. How can we withhold forgiveness for the little petty things that we annoy each other with when the almighty judge of the earth withholds his wrath for the sake of the ones who break his law? We can't do it. That's patience. Because God was so patient with you because he is right now so patient with you and because he will continue to be patient with you, you must be patient with me and vice versa, right? I have to be patient with you. It doesn't matter if patience is deserved or not because none of us deserve his patience, right? And yet we have found it. We found it. We found it over and over and over and over and over again. And we found it in an amount that we can never hope to understand. We have found patience that is so deep that we will never see the bottom of it. And so we must extend that same kind of patience one to another. This is a high calling. This is something that can only be done in light of what Jesus has done for us. Because I have received patience, I will give it. Amen? You guys still with me for number three here? All right, let's do it. Finally, we must walk patiently, bearing with one another in love because we are one body. We're one body. If you read Ephesians chapter one, we're not gonna read the whole chapter right now, but if you read the chapter, it is almost impossible to miss all of the plurals that Paul 
just lets fly out of his pen. Our, our, us, us, we, us, us, we, our, us, us, we, you, your, you, our, right? It sounds like some type of tribal beat, but it's, it's all these plurals, us, 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 all these amazing blessings that he's recounting that Paul is just praising God for, they are for us, us. My arms are long. I wish they were longer so I could just hug all you guys together, but they are for us. They're for us. Everything in the Christian life involves a personal reality, right? You have to trust in Christ for your salvation. But everything in the Christian life also involves a corporate reality, a shared reality. Corporate, right? Coming from the same root word as corpse, which don't think of death. It means body, right? This is your, (laughs) sorry. Corporate, corpse, body. Body, meaning we are a body of, we're a unified body of individuals, right? We are individuals, but together we make up one body, the body of Christ. That Paul tells us in chapter 2, verse 16, Jesus has reconciled us in one body to God through the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he had so much more in mind than just random individuals. He saw the body, the complete body, the complete bride. All of us, right, partakers in Adam's sin, and all of us partakers in Christ's salvation. Fellow partakers of God's promise, I have called upon him. You have called upon him. We have called upon him. Chapter 3, verse 6 says, we are partakers in the promise of God in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This body that God has called together, again, through the preaching of the gospel, is more than just a collection of individuals, right? You remember the, the, the whole is more than just the sum of the parts. That's how it goes, right? Or the sum is, I don't know, whichever, whichever one it is. The, the body is a precious entity. It is the object of Christ's affection, individually and collectively. It's the bride that he laid his life down for. When he says bride, he says singular, right? Bride, one, one body. The people that he has chosen for himself. That's what Ephesians 1 goes on and on about. This body, this people, the people that have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, the chosen people, the people predestined, the people that he would love for eternity. Each one of you, if you have heard his gospel and believed in him, each one of you is a member of that body, and we exist together for his glory. He has gifted us each individually that we would serve each other collectively, right? He has adopted us as his sons and daughters, and he is building us together into a dwelling place of God, a temple of the living God. That's chapter 2, verse 21. He is building us together into a dwelling place for the living God. And so when we're commanded to be patient with one another, it's not just patience with some random life form, right? Again, we're talking about a specific kind of patience here. It's not patience with the snails as they, you know, crawl along the sidewalk or, you know, birds when they stand in the road. We're talking about patience among his body where we all share in his grace. Romans 12, we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, we make up one living body. And in order for the body to function, it needs its parts to work together in harmony, right? In unity. If my legs decide they're no longer unified with my brain, it's not going to go well when I try to walk, right? In order for the body to function, it needs to work together. When you extend patience to your fellow believer and they extend patience to you, you are benefiting the body, which is to your benefit because you are a part of it. Does that make sense? When you work together with the body, you are benefiting the whole which benefits you. And that's the beauty of serving one another and bearing with one another. The beauty of this patience is that we are all serving the body. 
As Paul's going to go on to say in chapter 4, I'm kind of cheating here by skipping ahead, but this is one of my favorite sections of the whole book. He says, concerning the gifts that Jesus gave to his church, he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When every piece is doing its part, the body grows. We are each parts of the body doing our part. We need each other. Your brother and your sister need you, and you need them, right? When we all do our part, when each part is working properly, the whole body grows and builds itself up. You extend patience to your brother. That person extends patience to this person. This person extends patience to that person. The whole body benefits. And I think the thing that we take for granted, one of the things we take most for granted in the Christian life, besides maybe the Word of God, is the body of Christ. How precious the body is, not only to the Lord, but to us, and how desperately we need the body, how badly we really need each other. When we look at Paul's plan for the growth of the church, it involves being part of the body, yes? There's no way we can do this on our own. We need the body. For this reason, we must walk with patience. We must bear with one another. We can't say to one another, I've had enough of you. I have no use for you. I'm done with you, right? If one of your body parts is weak, you don't amputate it. You don't go, well, my left arm is not as strong as my right arm, so don't need it. Get rid of it. It's slowing me down. No, you strengthen it, right? You strengthen it. You invest time and effort and energy and resources into it so that it can grow strong like the rest of the body, right? If you guys have ever injured a body part, you know that it takes a long time for that strength to come back. So you have to be what? Patient with it. You can't put the full load back on the injured body part. You have to give it time to heal and recover and grow strong again. You don't just hack it off and say, well, I don't need it, it's weak. If one of your body parts is injured, you don't despise it and ignore it. You don't go, I hate you. I'm not gonna, you know, if, if you have an infection in your hand, you're not just gonna let it sit there and fester so you, you know, infection spreads to your blood and you die. You care for it so that it can heal and return to function, right? This is so obvious. This is why it's so wonderful that God uses, you know, imagery for us here. It would be foolish to ignore an injured part of your body and to forsake it. We have to go and give it attention, right, so it can heal. If one of your body parts is irritating you, you find out what the problem is and you address it, right? You make a plan to deal with the pain, and then you work on it, and you move forward. If your ankle bugs you, you don't lop your foot off. You don't smash it with a hammer and say, I hate you, you're bugging me, right? We know this instinctively. We care for our own bodies, so we have to care for this body because we know that this is what we've got, right? These are the members that I've got. These are the members I've been given. These are the members that I will have for the rest of my life if God wills. If I'm a thumb, work with me here, guys. If I'm a thumb, then these four fingers are my co-laborers, right? They work together in grasping things, right? If I'm thirsty, I got to reach out with all four fingers and my thumb to unscrew this bottle. 
which I am. We all have to work together in order to accomplish what God has called us to. And if I, Mr. Thumb, grow impatient with the fingers and I decide, forget you guys, I don't need you, you're holding me back, then what good am I? What is this going to do? I've lost my usefulness now, and I've greatly robbed the other four of their usefulness, right? This is super simple stuff. But because of that now, the arm can't reach out properly for what it needs to nourish the rest of the body, right? You ever try to eat a sandwich with just your thumb? And now the whole body suffers, right? Hungry, famished. I know this sounds kind of silly, but this is exactly how the body of Christ is made to function. We all are members of the body, and we all have a small but crucial part to play. And if we decide, I'm done cooperating and bearing with the other parts of the body, it's not just you that's damaged. It's not just them that's damaged. It's the whole thing. We all suffer together, right? When one rejoices, all rejoice. When one suffer, all suffer. We are one body. And so patience from one member to another is life-giving to the whole. We have to see ourselves in light of the whole. We've got to be ready to hang in there. We need a long-haul perspective. Not just today. Eternity. We're on God's timing. We need to consider our own desperate need for God's patience. We need to be reminded of how patient he's been in our lives. And we have to remember that we are part of Christ's body. And for the sake of this body, we must bear with its members because we need one another. The person next to you needs you. You need them. I need you. You need me. Nobody is doing this thing alone. Praise God that he's designed us in that way. And let, we, let me remind everyone here as we close, although we have a smaller crowd today, let me remind you all that though God is patient, there will come a day when that patience will come to an abrupt and terrifying end. There will come a day when this patience that he has extended is going to be over. There will be no more opportunity to find safety from him in Christ. That time will be over. He does not owe you one more day of life. He doesn't owe you another breath. He doesn't owe you another electrical signal in your brain keeping your body alive. The only reason you are alive right now is because of his patience and his graciousness. He does not owe this world another day without his vengeance, does he? Not one more day, and yet he's patient. His hand is stretched out. He has given his son as the payment for our evils. Everything that he's been patiently enduring, he has extended mercy. Jesus has done the work. He has done all that is needed for forgiveness and for eternal life. And all that is left is for you to forsake your trust in your own goodness, of which you have zero, right? Remember that from last week? None? And trust in him that he lived perfectly for us, that he died to pay for sins, and that he rose from the grave to defeat death. That is the message that God has sent out into the world to redeem a people for himself that will worship his son forever. Don't take his patience for granted. Don't take his patience for granted. Come and be saved now while he still offers this free gift. Right now. Don't wait till later. You don't know if you're going to make it later. I was reminded last night uh, powerfully on how quickly life can change in a, in, a, in a moment, in a day. We all know this. Now is the time. You can call out to him right now where you are. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to raise your hand or any of that. You can if you want to. Go ahead. But if you'd like to come after the service, I'll be up here. If anyone has questions or you want to pray or you just want to say hi, I'm going to sit at the foot of the stage and please come on up. But don't take his patience for granted. It's going to run out right now. It is endless, so come and be saved while there is still time. Amen?
And for those of you who are, give him glory for his patience that continues to endure toward you. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, thank you uh, for this great reminder. God, thank you for the call to walk patiently with each other. God, I thank you that my brothers and sisters have been patient with me for the past 50 minutes, Lord. Thank you, God, that you have poured out a patience on us that we will never know the depths of. I thank you, Father, that you've given us the ability to bear with one another, and you have designed us in such a way that we must. And so please help us, Lord. We are mere people, God. We stumble in many ways, and we thank you that we find your patience endures, that your love is steadfast, God. So please help us, God. Empower us by your spirit. Remind us by your word of how truly needy we are for your patience, even in this moment, God. And may we look to one another, Father, with compassion and extend that patience that we have so undeservingly received, God. Uh, we give you thanks. We give you the glory that's due to your name. And may you be glorified, God, as we go from here and bear with one another in love. In Jesus' name, amen.